So uh, just let's jump in here, and, and as we we visit, and, and glad to do it. Uh, suddenly, all of those purity laws of the Old Testament seem a little less draconian uh, in their their thoughts and methods um, and their purposes. Uh, sitting here in in quarantine, so uh, talk to us just a little bit about what we can learn from from those sections of scripture in this moment. Well, you have. Um the anthropologist Mary Douglas wrote an interesting piece on Leviticus in her book, Purity and Danger. She argued that uh, the Hebrews of old were using the best science possible to figure out what was healthy. And so in terms of diet, but also in terms of social interaction and who do you touch and who do you not touch? And so uh, in some regards, uh, I, I think you make a, a great observation. They were doing some social distancing before it was known as social distancing. Uh, and so they they didn't touch a lot of folks. And so yeah. if if the congregation is feeling like, well, it's not even church if we don't get a chance to hug, you can remind them of social distancing in uh, Leviticus. And you can remind them that in Christianity we followed some of these laws until we didn't. And so there will be a, there'll be a time when we, we just sort of peace of Christ, and then there'll be another time when we can, we can embrace later. Now that's, that's very helpful. I think that's a, a good word for us to think about just, um, there, this is for right now and what we're experiencing and, and uh, who knows how long and what the future holds, but um, not all things are, are uh, a light switch that turns off and on, but uh, it's good right. to think about those. So talk to us a little bit about uh, kind of the Old Testament and, and our response to disease, uh, especially I think it's out there. It, it always kind of crops up with disasters, be it natural or, or man-made. Um, but it always kind of have this under undercurrent of preaching and teaching that this is God's punishment or this is some sort of uh, divine uh, act upon humanity. And, and how, how do we uh, address that through the Old Testament? How do we get our mind around that at that moment or in this moment that we're hearing? Yeah, there, there's a passage I, I love to quote, partly because it drives seminarians wild. In uh, Amos 3.6b, it says, um, does disaster befall a city and God has not brought it? And so there's often the question, well, what caused this? But at that point, I then switched to, uh, to the Gospels where the disciples asked Jesus, in terms of the man born blind, who really did the sin? At which point Jesus says, you're asking really the wrong question. It's a question of healing, not who caused this. You do have expectations of uh, the community needs to behave in a certain way or disaster will befall them. But that's one of the things uh, to, to notice is different in uh, the Old Testament than it is in a pandemic. Because with the Old Testament text, the believing community, whenever they went astray, would be punished. 
but this pandemic works in, in a, quite a different way because it is a worldwide event. You don't really have much similar to that other than uh, the flood story in Genesis 6 through 9. But at the end of the flood story, you have God saying, I'm not going to do this again. Um, never will I send a flood, I'll send a fire. Uh, and I don't know, many folks are thinking this is the end of the world and the apocalyptic fire. Uh, and so uh, the disaster strategy is probably not the best way of thinking through it. What I'm, what I'm really excited about and what um, our pastors can do is uh, the German scholar Hermann Gunkel, and some of you will remember Hermann Gunkel from, uh, from your intro to uh, scripture class. Uh, Gunkel reminded us that there were four Psalms of the sick. Uh, Psalm 6, uh, Psalm 88, um, Psalm 39 and 62. We almost never preach on these psalms, partly because we are nervous about illness, and illness strikes us as odd. But we'd be surprised how many people in our congregations are ill or sick. In our congregations, we have folks who are survivors of cancer, heart disease, mental illness, and we almost never talk about the Psalms of the sick. This is, would be a good season to talk about the sort of grief process that these uh, Psalms really let us move through. Psalm six, uh, for instance, is going to say, Lord, don't deal too harshly with me and save my life. There's gonna be a lot of times during this crisis that people are gonna be praying that, save my life. And so if we can sort of lead our congregations to read these uh, psalms of sickness and pay attention to them, that'll be a really great asset. Uh, also, Psalm 88, which is a sort of longish psalm, is a psalm of the sick, but it doesn't have a happy ending. It just sort of says, I don't know what I'm gonna do. Now, I wouldn't do this on a Sunday morning, that's, that's really not a way to, as they say in the black church, open the doors to the church. Um, but there may be folks who are still dealing with their struggle with the illness um, and the grief, and they're gonna need for you not to resolve it too quickly. And so Psalm 88 res reminds us not to resolve it uh, too quickly. Did I get at your question? Absolutely. I think that's, that's a wonderful resource for us uh, to think about how we preach uh, in these moments matters and uh, being delicate and thoughtful, but also maybe touching on some of these things that, that uh, we wouldn't normally embrace because we have a moment here that's unlike any other. Uh, and, and what opportunity we'll have like this again. Are there any particular resources for those four Psalms that you would point us towards? At this point, what I'd do is I'd look at, uh, many of the folks listening have been in CPE and done things with uh, ill and dying patients. 
those resources mixed with these psalms will make a really nice combination. And that, that's the way I, I, I would get at it. Sort of how do you help people think through the fragility of the human body? And how do you help them think through issues of death and dying? And then you read in the background those psalms, and I think they're going to have aha moments. And that's really what you're, what you're, uh, what you're shooting for. Now, another uh, set of psalms that I would use, I wouldn't necessarily preach on these, but I'd use them in worship, are the Lord Reign psalms. Um, one of my favorite is uh, 93.1. It says, the Lord reigns. These are interesting psalms. And, and here I'm going to get a little nerdy and sound like a Hebrew professor. These psalms use the Hebrew cow perfect stem. Now, the cow perfect stem is not like anything in English because it talks about completed action in the past, present, and future. And so when, when I'm trying to be funny in class, I'll say, uh, how are you going to translate this? And students will say, the Lord reigns because they've read the Bible. And I said, does that mean that the Lord didn't used to reign? And they said, no, 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 the Lord reigned in the past. And I said, okay, then does it mean that the Lord will not reign in the future? No, 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 the Lord will reign in the future. Part of what our people need to hear during this time of crisis is the sovereignty of God. And the more we rehearse the sovereignty of God, the more that there's something concrete to hold on to. We don't have any idea what the timetables uh, of shelter in place and all that are going to be, but we do know uh, quite clearly who is in control of human history. No, that's right. That's that's so helpful. I remember write that phrase. I wrote that phrase down. Rehearse the sovereignty of God. Yeah, that is an incredible way to put that for for our folks uh, personally and just for everybody that's ministering to a congregation or to their family or, or to whoever it may be, uh, even to their neighbors and the conversations we're having with our neighbors. I know you step outside and you're having conversations and it's about right. work or it's about health care. It's about uh, any number of things. Um, what a what a what a powerful way to phrase that. But the Psalms don't just hit at this crying out and lament and and the need for for uh, God's intervention. They also give us a sense of hope. So where can you point us for hope in in the Psalms or other scriptures of the Old Testament amidst the disease time? Where do we find our hope? One of the things that. Uh that I, one of the Psalms I come back to is Psalm 1, because it talks about fortunate is the one who does. And the first three elements of that have to do with who you associate with and how you interact with them. And in this time of social distancing, who you interact with and how you interact with them is very important in terms of your own frame of mind. And so Psalm 1 is going to give you some clues about the nature of your social connections. But then it makes the point. Happy are those who deliberate on God's instruction day and night. And so 
Psalm 1 really introduces us to the rest of the book of Psalms, but helps us also understand scripture in general. If we want to be able to go through this crisis, part of our best strategy is to pay attention to the scripture that has nurtured us through other crises before this. And so that that's why I would go back to Psalm 1. One of the one of the phrases in Psalm 1 uh, that uh, the wicked are not like this. They are like chaff that are blown away. But those who do this are like a tree planted by the waters. And I'm, I'm uh, reminded that this becomes one of the key song, songs during the civil rights movement. And so if you're talking about a time of disruption, it is good to know that even in a time of disruption, the scripture and the relationship with God is what can plant a person like a tree by the nurturing waters. So if I'm hearing you right, we need to less Netflix and more scripture. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> um, now, what you can do is you can probably, uh, for some of the folks, some of your participants, they are good enough with Netflix, they can probably scripture and Netflix uh, at the same time. It, it would be interesting to have them uh, email you about how they're able to make biblical and cinematic connections during this, during this time. I like that. You, you heard that, listeners and watchers. Uh, I will be looking for your emails to see just how you are integrating uh, these practices and in, uh, in doing something different, something new, uh, engaging some maybe different uh, muscles there to think uh, theologically even about what we're binging. That's a good, yeah. good uh, exercise to do. Uh, so Tell us, uh, Andrew Bowles has a good question just to jump in right here to, to what non-commentary uh, book or books would you recommend for, uh, for the Psalms? Who do we need to read uh, that, that can help us that's not necessarily just the, the commentary action? One of the things that I would do is uh, Bill Bellinger has a new book called uh, the in fact, let me let me get it for you. His book, Psalms as the Grammar of Faith. Yeah. Part of what I like about this book is it's 137 pages long, including the index. And so you can easily read it. He mm -hmm. tells you most everything that's uh, going on in Psalm study, and he does it in a nice and accessible way. Um, and he's going to help you uh, come to terms with uh, issues of uh, lament in his chapter on Out of the Depths, uh, but also the movements of the grammar are gonna help you think through the process of formation, lament, and praise. And so in that regards, 
that that's one of my favorites right now in terms of uh, what I'm what I'm looking at. That's very helpful. I think uh, that's a yeah, that's a that's a book that's on my shelf right now uh, and in my queue to read as well. Uh, and just always appreciate uh, Dr. Bellinger and his work and uh, his words for us. So in this moment, what scripture you've mentioned some of the, the, the sickness psalms and the, the sovereignty of God. What's speaking to you personally as you are reading and studying in your own kind of personal life here? Uh, I keep coming back to, uh, we, we began with Psalm 1, and I, I always end, in some sense, with Psalm 146 through 150, the Hallels, or the praises. Um, and Carl uh, Barth talks about what is the vocation of humanity. And he argues that the vocation of humanity is to praise God. And Psalm 50 Makes a, makes a similar move. It says, let everything that breathes praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And so one of the questions in a time when we're trying to make all sorts of decisions, one of the questions that we might ask ourselves and ask the people who we interact with in faith, how is our life being an expression of praising God? And the better we're able to address that, the better we're able to cope with the broader vocation of our work. So it's not just about going to HEB or not going to HEB or those sort of little things that often get in the way and fill up our days. It's asking what are the bigger questions about what God wants us to be about uh, during this season? And one of the great things about praise is praise is a remarkably broad category. Praise might mean working at Meals on Wheels. It might mean staying home. It might mean calling someone in the congregation who you haven't seen and may not be uh, very connected with anyone else. Some congregations are doing, uh, having their deacons split up everyone in the congregation so that everyone gets a call at least once or twice a week just to make a connection. And so in this time, one of the key things when we talk about praise the Lord, one of the key things is just to make a connection with someone else. It may be a virtual connection, but it's probably still a very important connection. Um, and Dr. Angela Gurel, who's on the Truett faculty, and uh, her book, Always On, says that most of us are not just digital or analog, but both digital and analog. So our real life is both face-to-face -face and Facebook, Instagram, telephone. And so we need to use the integration of these to provide witness to our commitments and our core relationships. Yeah, that's helpful. That's exactly right. I, that part of her her uh, book was just really enlightening to think of ourselves in these kind of, it's not one or the other, it's this amalgamation of yeah. both. 
I don't know if you were able to see it, that your, your comments there about the Hillel Psalms uh, just really sparked my mind. Uh, Matt Davis, one of our, our uh, alums who works with uh, the Baylor uh, Chapel, just released a song this week, and uh, in, in, he said, uh, saying, yes, I will, and just through the mm-hmm. process of praising God in the midst of, of everything. And it's just a beautiful uh, sentiment and beautiful message in this song. And, of course, he's just so talented that, that then I think it's linked there. For those of you that maybe oh, haven't seen this, this is an incredibly uh, gifted young man who uh, whose family's in Brooklyn, who's experiencing the very heart of the struggle in the United States. And for him to stand on stage and, and talk about, yes, I will praise God. I mean, it was a, it was a goosebumps moment for me to think um, about the depth of what it means to praise God in this moment. Um, and the call from the Psalms there uh, for us to do exactly that. It's, it's a, that is faith forming, uh, I believe. Yeah. And the way you framed it is quite helpful because the lament only works if you can do the praise piece. And the praise piece, I think, only works if you can look into the lament piece. And if you can mm. nurture people in both their grief and lament and at the same time always challenging them to a praising piece, then it helps them integrate these things into, into their whole life. No, that's, that's a great key point, too. And I think... I think it's, is it Brueggemann that talks about this is we have this ability to be bold before God with our lament and our accusations precisely because we're in this covenant relationship where we follow it up with praise that God's still God at the end of the day. Is that yes. right? Is that, they get to- That's absolutely right. Because Brueggemann in his uh, essay, the, the costly loss of lament says that once you lose the ability to lament and to complain, you lose a certain step, uh, a certain aspect of intimacy. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't complain uh, to Dean Still about stuff because we just don't have that sort of relationship. But for folks for whom I have deep friendship uh, and, you know, when, when, when Kathy and I have at the end of the day, I can lament. And Brueggemann argues if you want to be, have a good relationship with God, it's going to have both the lament and the praise. You can't just sort of do happy talk with God and then say, well, I don't want God to see my not happy talk. Especially in, in a time of pandemic, you're going to have times when just to be real, you have to pay attention to the, to the loss. And the, the good news is God is big enough to take that loss in. And as God takes that in, it helps move us to a moment of praise. Yeah, that's great. I do, if we can revisit a point right quick, Ben Byron had a, a question just about this idea of lamenting and crying out and sickness and is this particular to a kind of church or denomination? Is it, or is it kind of a universal that the church just struggles with this? And do you have an idea maybe why that is? That's a great question. One of the things that I think characterizes an evangelical church 
is an evangelical church really affirms that God is responsive. In some churches, there is a sense that God is so big, you shouldn't bother God with your illness. But in an evangelical church, you can bother God with your illness because God is big enough to handle that. And so I, I would, in fact, uh, encourage folks to, to pay attention to that and, and not assume that every church is making that assumption. Some churches have different views about what is in the nature of prayer. But the psalmist and a number of evangelical churches would make the argument that our task is to persuade God to have mercy on us. And therefore, it, it makes good sense, even though not, it, it's not universal. No, that's helpful. That's very good. Well, Dr. Reed, I think we're, we're kind of coming to the conclusion and, and uh, just give any, any last questions, give them one more minute here to pop at the end. I do appreciate it on behalf of the True Church Network, just you spending time with us today. These are just profound and, and timely words uh, as, as we, we visit with church leaders and workers. Um, we need this kind of encouragement, and we're so glad that you had the opportunity uh, to share with us and, and deeply appreciate that. Um, uh I, I'm honored to have a chance to talk to you and to your uh, participants. As you've named the names, these, these are some of uh, the brightest and uh, most gifted folks I know in ministry. And so I'm glad to have a chance to connect with them. Well, thanks. And again, guys, thank you for being here for True Church Network and, and just uh, participating in this time. Uh, we'll get this out on YouTube and on our, our Facebook and social media uh, and encourage you to share this with someone that needs to hear it. Share it with a church member that needs to hear that it's okay uh, to cry out to God in these moments, that lament and, and praise have this kind of great relationship. Um, this, is, this is truly for the church, and, and we're so deeply indebted to Dr. Reed's expertise uh, for today. Glad y'all are here. We look forward to seeing you next week. Uh, thank you, Dr. Holmeyer, for all your great production and connections and in making this thing go. Uh, we'll see y'all next week. Bye.